preach the word in season preach the word out of season preach the word with great patience and instruction preach with patience preach with patience and instruction The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So let's now open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Well, today was my plan. It was my plan to jump back into 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, and uh, for this week, and to answer some of the questions uh, that are raised there about Israel's relationship to the church, but the calendar reminded me that it might be better to hold off for at least one more week. I remember uh, one Mother's Day, I spoke about the second coming of Christ, uh, because it was the the next text, and uh, there was a visitor who was there uh, visiting his mother, and uh, he came to me afterwards and said, I don't think I've ever heard a Mother's Day message like that. And I said, I probably said something like, I'm probably sure you haven't. <laughs> and, uh, but it was the next text, and uh, mothers need to know about the second coming of Christ as well. Uh, and we're committed here at BBC to uh, sequential verse-by-verse teaching, uh, which means that uh, sometimes we'll completely ignore the calendar, and I don't apologize for that. Uh, but it's also appropriate to honor motherhood and encourage mothers among us. Uh, I saw a, a sign on a, a car uh, this morning as, uh, as I was coming into church. It says, there's no hood like motherhood. Uh, so uh, we do want to make sure that we're honoring uh, mothers as, the, as a church, uh, understanding that this is something that God has designed. We're committed to, to honoring what God himself brings honor to. And as I thought about that and uh, what would be uh, really helpful uh, for us today, I was reminded about uh, one of the most remarkable mothers in Scripture, Uh, She's mentioned in two of the gospel accounts, and uh, she's commended by Christ as a woman of great faith, but we don't even know what her name was, which is fitting uh, because this mother of great faith was also a mother of great humility. She was one of the most humble women in Scripture as well, and we find her story in Matthew chapter 15, if you want to turn there with me, Matthew chapter 15, and we'll read verses 21 down to 28, and I believe that she could have also sang that song, My Help comes from the Lord. Amen. Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 21. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this text, a text that we're familiar with, a text that we've covered here before, but Father, a text which still speaks such wonderful truths to us. Now, Father, I pray that 
you would help the mothers among us to be people of humility, to be people of faith, to be people of dependence on their great God. And Father, that they would receive from you the strength that they need for each new day. Father, great are your mercies. Your mercies are new every morning. And Father, we pray that your mercies would just be today, Lord, that we would be reminded of your your mercies once again. And Father, I pray that you would help me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. From the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we've been reminded that remarkable faith comes from some unremarkable places. And if you remember the genealogy of Jesus Christ in chapter 1, it mentions the name of Ruth, a Gentile Moabite, and her lineage would have been traced back to an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters, and her people were considered cursed by God, but yet she finds her way into the the lineage of Jesus Christ, the genealogy. We learned uh, this past summer, Ruth had this remarkable faith. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back as she spoke to Naomi. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. And it was a remarkable faith that was found in an unremarkable place. Back in Matthew chapter 2, we're introduced to the Gentile Magi, better known as the wise men, who had nothing more than the stars in the sky and a story that was passed down to them about a a king who would be born over the Jews. They had a remarkable faith, and they demonstrated that faith in Jesus. In chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. These strangers, strange men from a, a strange land, traveled clear across country to give Jesus what all of Jerusalem should have been given to Jesus, which was worship. But here we find this remarkable faith, again, in an unremarkable place. What, what are these Gentile magi doing, recognizing Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the one who's born King of the Jews, when those who are right there in Bethlehem and those who are in Nazareth did not recognize him as who he said he was? And then there's the Gentile Roman centurion in chapter 8. Nobody would have expected this Roman to be anything but a hardened, cruel, proud, idol-worshiping pagan. What would he know about the Jewish Messiah? But in Matthew chapter 8, he approaches Jesus and he calls him Lord. He doesn't even wish for Jesus to enter into his house because he felt like he was unworthy. And when he asked Jesus to heal the servant, he says, don't even, don't even bother coming to my house. All you need to do is speak the word. I recognize you as having sovereign, universal lordship. Just speak the word and it'll happen. Truly, I say to you, Jesus says, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. These Gentile people who had so little to base their faith on possess remarkable faith. And you know what? The same is true for you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today. It's a a faith that the Lord has granted to you. It's a supernatural faith. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 26, that not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble, that's us. But still, there's this remarkable faith that we possess if we trust in Jesus Christ. But in contrast to this remarkable faith, the Jewish crowds who saw the miracles after miracles after miracles are still wondering whether or not Jesus is who he claims to be. Even the disciples who by this time spent about two years with Jesus Christ were still being convinced that he was the Son of God. But that's not a problem for this Gentile mother that we meet in this passage. And just like the other examples of remarkable faith in Matthew, this woman is a Gentile, 
And there's a remarkable faith that's found, again, in an unremarkable place. Let's just set the context for you. This story takes place after Jesus has already been rejected by the nation and by the religious leaders of Israel. Back in chapter 11, he rebukes the cities of Galilee where most of his miracles were done. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20 says he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. In verse 21, it says, Woe to you, Chorazin! What are you, Bethsaida? Down to verse 23, And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? Woe to you. Woe to you. All these miracles that you've seen and you still doubt me? Chapter 12, after Jesus embarrassed the Pharisees on a Sabbath day and healed the man with the withered hand, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. The miracle worker, the guy who they, they just witnessed, Restore a man's withered hand. Now they want to conspire against him to kill him. And in that same chapter, chapter 12, after Jesus cast out an unclean spirit, the Pharisees come back with, with this kind of uh, you know, uh, statement to, to try to deny his miracles. He, he cast out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. You know, as if they couldn't come up with any better excuse. You know, all this miraculous power, we've got we've to explain it some way. I mean, we can't deny that it's happening. We've got to come up with some kind of excuse, and they rejected the signs that pointed to Jesus' identity. And it's at this point that Jesus starts to speak to the crowds in parables. Why? Because the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. This people is dull. They don't get it. And in chapter 15, after another confrontation over religious traditions. He withdraws into Tyre and Sidon, which was Gentile territory. Matthew 15, verse 21 says, Jesus went away from there, withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And it seems to be a a pattern for for Jesus that he would avoid the full-scale attack before the time had come. And he withdrew. And after he receives all this rejection, he withdraws. When it was time for Jesus to face the hostility of the Jewish nation, he would do that without flinching. Isaiah 50 actually speaks about Jesus prophetically and says, I gave my back to those who who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Jesus wouldn't turn away from the persecution when it was time. When it was time for the Messiah to suffer, Jesus would suffer. Jesus actually told his disciples that I must go and suffer. Jesus knew how this was going to end. He knew he'd face the ultimate rejection. He didn't rush into the conflict before the time. But at this time, he withdraws into, again, what would be considered pagan Gentile territory. Both of the cities that are mentioned here, Tyre and Sidon in verse 21, were Gentile cities synonymous with Gentile pagan worship in the Old Testament. Tyre was located about 25 miles north of Galilee. Sidon was 25 miles north of that So Jesus is traveling around an area that's 50 miles away from where most of his ministry would have happened, uh, areas today of uh, Lebanon and Syria, and a trip through this area would have been weeks or maybe months. According to Mark 7, 24, he didn't want to be noticed while he was there. This wasn't a trip for public ministry. This was a trip to, to get away, maybe focus on some more particular instruction to his disciples, prepare for the events of the crucifixion, which were quickly approaching. But even 50 miles away from home, Jesus couldn't escape notice. In Mark 7, 24, it says, When he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. And one of these people who noticed 
Jesus was a mother, a Canaanite woman, a woman of the Syrophoenician race, according to Mark, where it speaks about that. Silent response is given to this desperate plea from this mother, which is totally unexpected from what we've seen of Jesus in the past. But take a look again at Matthew chapter 15, 21 to 23. Listen to what it says. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that region came out, began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But listen to this in verse 23. But he did not answer her a word. A silent response to a desperate plea from a mother. We're, we're definitely not used to seeing this kind of response from Jesus. You know, there's all kinds of questions that this incident brings up, and many of the questions we would ask here are the same questions we have when we experience our own silence from heaven. I mean, I mean, why? <laughs> why? Why am I not getting an answer? I mean, we might ask questions like, does, does Jesus even hear me? Well, this mother doesn't doubt that Jesus can hear She's literally in the house sitting at his feet when this happens, bowing at his feet. Mark chapter 7, verse 24 says that Jesus and the disciples entered into a house. And in verse 25, it says, But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. So here you have this woman approaching and entering the house where Jesus is staying to get away and falling at his feet and begging him for his help. She's not whispering. She's crying out. This is the sense of this word. Verse 21, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And of course, Jesus heard the mother. This mother didn't doubt that Jesus heard her. But there are times when we doubt that Jesus hears us at times. I love uh, Psalm 139 in verse 4. It says, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Jesus knows. Psalm 65 refers to God as, you who hear prayer, First Kings 8.39 says, You alone know the hearts of the sons of men. Of course, God hears. And the affliction that we experience doesn't change what God hears and that God answers and that God delights in the prayers of his people. But sometimes afflictions have a way of distorting the reality, right? Sometimes we can doubt the power of Jesus. You know, is he able? But this mother didn't doubt the power of Jesus. Whether it was the testimony that she heard from others, some things that she personally witnessed herself, she didn't doubt Jesus' power. You know, she wasn't like the, the scribes and Pharisees over in chapter 12 who asked Jesus for a sign, you know, as if all the miracles that Jesus already produced wasn't enough. You know, here, here they're seeing this miracle worker, miracle after miracle after miracle. And what do they come to Jesus and ask for? Hey, can I see a miracle? I mean, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? As if all that Jesus did wasn't enough. This woman didn't need another sign from heaven to make up her mind about Jesus. She knew who Jesus was. She knew he had the power. In fact, if you listen to the way she addresses Jesus, she was able to put the pieces together faster than the disciples and the scribes and Pharisees were. Listen to what she says in verse 22. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Which we could read as a polite form of address, because often that term Lord was used for you know, those who were in authority. David is called Lord. Abraham was called Lord. But that's a, a title here that's specifically identifying him as the Lord who is the Messiah. Because the next thing that she says is son of David. And that's a title that clearly identifies Jesus as the Messiah and the coming king. Over in 
2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised David that there would be a king who would follow him, who would establish an eternal kingdom. Matthew 7, verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And over in uh, Psalm 110, which uh, many have observed as the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, David says this about the, the coming king in Psalm 110 in verse 1. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Here it speaks about this one who is to come, this Messiah as the Lord. And here you have a Psalm of David. David's the author who's speaking in Psalm 110. And he speaks about God and he says, the Lord says to my Lord. The Lord says to my Lord. He's recognizing the one who is to come, who is his son, is also his Lord. David recognizes the Messiah as my Lord. And Jesus picks up on that in Matthew chapter 22 when he speaks to the Pharisees and he says, uh, you know, who, who's, whose son is the, uh, or, or, who, who is the, uh, the son, uh, the Messiah, the son of? Who is the Messiah, the son of? And they, they said, oh, the Christ is the son of, of David. He's the son of David. And he, they, they think they, they've got him. You know, why are you asking us a simple question? You know, everybody knows that the Messiah comes from David. And he says, well, how does David in the spirit refer to him as Lord? You don't refer to your son as Lord. You know, my, my son, he comes home. I don't refer to him as Lord Micah. You know, sometimes I wish he would refer to me as Lord Dad, but, you know, that doesn't, doesn't happen often. <laughs> doesn't happen at all. <laughs> but he says, how, how is he going to refer to his son as his Lord? There's a different kind of relationship that's going on here. That this Messiah who is to come is the eternal Lord of glory. That's what this indicates. And after uh, Jesus fired back and tried to explain Psalm 110, it says that they refused to answer him a word. And nobody dared to ask him a question after that. It's like, this guy is too much for us to handle. They couldn't figure it out. At least they didn't want to acknowledge the implication of Psalm 110. But here you have this, this mother with all of her disadvantages, a pagan Gentile woman from a Gentile land who had the ability to put all of this together, that this Jesus is Lord. And he is the son of David. This is absolutely incredible that she's able to do what the Pharisees can't do. She didn't doubt his power. She didn't doubt his identity. She didn't doubt that she heard, that, that Jesus heard. And that's the question that might trouble us is if Jesus knows and if Jesus hears and if Jesus is able, like, why isn't he fixing it? You know, fix it, Jesus. Fix it, Jesus. Why, why aren't you fixing it? You, you know what I'm going through. And she cries out, and the, the text indicates that she continually cried out. Uses an imperfect form of the verb, which meant that she kept on crying persistently, repeatedly, relentlessly. Have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy on me, Lord. She understood something about the character of Jesus that many of us are still learning. And that's that even when heaven is silent, it doesn't mean that heaven doesn't care. God cares. One Baptist commentator named John Broda says, the one who hears prayer is no less designing our good when he withholds or defers an answer. You know, God, God doesn't cease to be good because you don't get the answer that you want right away or because you don't get the answer in the way that you want it. You know, we're tempted to think that if God doesn't answer in the way that we want that, you know, somehow that, that there's something wrong with the, the goodness of God. Maybe, maybe God isn't as good as I thought he was. But God is good even in the silence. 
And the Psalms are filled with the kind of raw emotion, you know, the questions that we ask. Psalm 88, verse 14, O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Psalm 102, verse 1, hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come for help. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me. That's what Job prayed. Why do you, why do you hide your face and consider me an enemy? Job 13, verse 24. And sometimes we can feel like that. You know, God, are, are you hiding from me? Are you, why are you so distant right now? Why do you feel so distant from me? But I love the Psalms. They're like the, the boomerang. Is, you know, as far as they go out, you know, they always return back. They travel off into the distance, but, but they come back with this, this kind of confidence. You know, it, it returns with this confidence. And even in the, the Psalms that, that don't end with like this, you know, kind of upswing, they're still going to the Lord that they know can answer prayer, right? They're pleading before God because, God, where else are we going to go? Psalm 102, verse 17 says, He has regarded the prayer of the destitute. He has not despised their prayer. Do you believe that God does not despise your prayer? Here you have this mother, and she believes. She trusted in the character of Christ. And my question is, do you? Do you trust in the character of Christ? J.C. Ryle commented, Trials wean us from the world, send us to the Bible, and drive us to our knees. <laughs> Trials have a way of, of letting you know that, that you're not sufficient in and of yourself. You need help. <laughs> And as we sang, our, our help comes from the Lord. Do you know that your help comes from God? You know, maybe some mothers in here, maybe you feel misunderstood, mistreated by those who are around you. Do you believe that the Christ here is and understands you? Maybe you're suffering with an ongoing sickness or fatigue, exhaustion. You know, maybe you feel wrung out like an old rag at the end of your rope. Do you believe that God knows? Maybe you have a child that's been wayward for a period of time. Do you believe that Christ hears? Do you believe that Christ cares? Do you believe that the God is able? This mother continued to cast her burdens on Christ because she, she believed that he cared for her. And it's not because of how deserving or worthy she th thought she was. She doesn't come to Christ because she's worthy of it. She comes to Christ because I have a need of mercy and I know that you can give it. It's not because I'm worthy, it's because you are merciful that I come to you. She didn't come to Christ and say, look at, look at how much I've served. Look at how much I've sacrificed. Look at how much I've suffered with this demon-possessed child, Lord. Would you look on my affliction? You know, maybe you've been tempted to think that way about your own kids. <laughs> but she doesn't come to the Lord and say, Lord, reward me because of all that I've sacrificed. Lord, reward me because of how much I've suffered. She comes to Christ and says, Lord, have mercy on me. Because I don't deserve it. That's what mercy says. I don't deserve your kindness. And Jesus' silence did not turn her away, but gave her an opportunity to exercise her faith. A genuine faith will hold up under fire and is even made stronger by the fire. James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And this mother's faith is being stretched to the limit, tested by the silence of Christ. But this is a great faith. And what a rebuke it is to people like us who have so much more revelation to go off of, right? You know, this, this lady had such a, a trust in Christ with so little to go off of. And we have a whole history of God's working and his providence in times past. And, and we come before God and sometimes we're weak of faith. She reminds me of Jacob who wrestled 
with the angel of the Lord from night until the break of dawn and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm not going anywhere. Silence. But she continues to cry out. And this silence is followed by an irritated response by the disciples. Look at verse 23 again. It says, but he did not answer her a word. But the disciples aren't too shy to speak up. You know, Christ won't answer you. I will. (laughs) He did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. And it's apparent that these uh, disciples really have no clue about the kind of woman that they're standing in front of. This is a remarkable woman right here, a woman who possesses great faith. It's a woman who has great need, but here the disciples care nothing more than about getting some peace and quiet. Like, she keeps shouting, Lord, don't you see this? Can you send her away? Rather than coming to Jesus to intercede for this mother, they come to Jesus to get rid of her. She's in irritation. You know, so so much for the, the saints and the apostles interceding for you, you know. They simply want to get rid of this annoying lady. It's not clear if they're asking Jesus to deny the request and send her away or just give her what she wants to get rid of her. But either way, their main request was that she be sent away. That's that's what we really want. There's little concern for this mother, her young child. Their greatest concern was for peace of mind. We don't want her shouting at us anymore. But what about the, the screams of a girl who's being tormented cruelly by a demon? What about a a mother who's tortured by the sight of a demon-possessed girl? What about the anguish of the family? But the disciples are worried about some quiet time. It's convicting. You know, are are we ever like that? When we come across somebody who's uh, in trouble, somebody who's uh, desperate, you know, somebody who's struggling through a a certain trial in their life, and it's just like, "Ah, I just, can you just like let it go? Convicting, convicting. Are we ever like that? But their irritated response doesn't keep this mother from persevering in prayer. Great illustration of the the kind of uh, faith that Jesus talks about over in Luke chapter 18, the persevering faith. If you remember over in that uh, chapter, uh, Jesus spoke about a uh, a widow who was uh, looking for some relief from a judge, representation, legal representation. And it says it was an unrighteous judge. A lot of parables talk about what God is like. Uh, Luke 18 speaks about what God is not like. God is not like the unrighteous judge who hears this widow's pleas and is just wanting to get rid of her. You know, and after time after time, she comes and comes and comes until the judge just says, I'll just give you what you want to get rid of you. That's not like the God that we come before. God is not like looking to just get rid of us. Like, you know, can you stop bothering me? You know, I've heard enough from you already. You know, just take what you want and get out of here. That is not the God that we come before. We come before a God who cares. And the point is, is God is not like the unrighteous judge. You don't have to wear him out until he gives you what you want. And he's not irritated with you and giving you a reluctant answer to your prayers. The mother is not doubting the mercy of Christ. She perseveres in her prayer. And it's met by a discouraging response. Look at verse 24. It says, but he answered. Here Jesus answers. He answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And here's where the Lord explains the silence that she experienced. She's not a sheep of Israel. And the first thing that he explains is that the Gentile nations are not part of his initial mission. And it's clear from Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 that God always intended to bless all the families of the earth. There's no argument about that. In Genesis 12 verse 3 it says, I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
And that blessing would come to the Gentiles by faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8 says the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. The, the nations, the Gentile nations are blessed through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is described as the, the hope of the Gentiles. But what's also clear in scripture is that the blessing to the nations was intended to come through national Israel. And national Israel also had a priority in the plan of God. And we'll actually talk about more about this next week, Lord willing. But here, Jesus is saying that you are on the outside of that. And at this time, the kingdom and the blessings of the kingdom were only being offered to national Israel. If you remember, this was the same mission that Jesus sent his disciples on back in Matthew chapter 10, where the 12 that Jesus sent out, he instructed them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At this time, the kingdom was only being offered to national Israel. And if other nations wanted to get in on it, they would have to come through Israel. And Jesus lets her know, you're not part of the house of, of Israel. And the kingdom blessings are located in Israel. And it's true that Jesus healed Gentiles before this, but guess where they were? In Israel. <laughs> the, the, the woman professes this faith in Christ but he says the blessings are only for those in Israel. There was a, the, the, the people that we mentioned before, the, the Gentile centurion had a servant healed that was in Israel. We actually find that people from Tyre and Sidon uh, came, were healed without hesitation. But again, they were in Israel. Luke chapter 6 speaks about that. Isaiah chapter 2 speaks about a day in the future when it will be like that again, when the, the nations will come to Mount Zion. But my, my point here is that the blessings of the kingdom were connected to Israel. And at this time, Jesus is fulfilling his mission to Israel. But in spite of that, in spite of Jesus saying, you're not part of Israel, you're, you're not one of the sheep of Israel, in spite of Jesus saying that, she continues to persist. And look at what she says. After she, she comes to the Lord, and he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Look at verse 25. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, Help me, Lord, help me, as if to say, if, if I can't receive the blessings because you're the son of David who's coming to, to reign over Israel, at least I can receive the blessings because you're the Lord and you're the Lord over all the earth. She, she's, she's not turned away. She continues to persist in this faith in Christ. Your lordship is not limited to Israel. Psalm 82 verse 8 says, for it is you who possesses all the nations. Again, this is an extraordinary faith. But then the Lord makes a statement that's brought trouble to many interpreters because not only does he say that she's not a sheep, he says you're a dog. <laughs> he calls her a dog of the Gentiles. Look at verse 26. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Like I said before, at this point, you'd almost expect her to, to respond with, what, excuse me, what did you call me? <laughs> what, what, what's, what's this about, Right? It's been pointed out that the dogs, using that term dogs, was a, a Jewish term of abuse for Gentiles. And the suggestion that the, the Greek term is, is an affectionate reference to dogs as pets is uh, really appealing to modern Western sentimentality, and it falls foul of the lack of any such idea in Judaism. That's, that's not how the, the Jewish people would refer you know, to cute, cuddly pets you know, that they feed on their laps. That's, that's not what they meant when they called somebody a dog. 
If you called somebody a, a dog, you know, my dog, that's not a term of endearment, right? You know, we may use it like that today, but uh, dogs were known as wild, homeless scavengers who roamed Palestine like packs of wolves. You, you didn't have a, a dog as an affectionate term for somebody. But occasionally they're domesticated, trained to guard sheep, like it talks about in Job chapter 30. But they were still regarded as unclean. And definitely the dog didn't get a seat at the table. Jesus even made the same point back in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6 when he says, Do not give what is holy to dogs. You don't give what is holy to a, or clean to a dog. And as a Gentile, this woman was still seen as being on the outside of the covenant promises of Abraham and his descendants. And Christ came to offer this kingdom to the descendants of Abraham, not to the Gentiles. And to offer the kingdom blessings to the Gentile nations would be like taking the children's bread and throwing it to the dogs. This is, this is definitely not the seeker-sensitive approach, okay? Jesus is not, not seeking to, to make friends here, you know, at this time. One commentator says, attempts to make Jesus sound more politically correct by resorting to supposed facial expressions or humor or twinkle in his eye are all misguided. You know, don't, don't try, to, try to, you know, butter over what Jesus has to say. Don't try to, you know, make, make it sound better than what it sounds like. This, this is what Jesus said. And there, there are some who would even use this as a reason to uh, accuse Jesus of sin. R.C. Sproul recounted the first time he heard a female professor speak about this verse as the reason she believed Jesus was sinful just like the rest of us, because how could any sinless person talk like this? One commentator denies that Jesus even uttered these words. He said these words are atrocious and the worst sort of chauvinism of the early church, and it's a fictional account. But it's not Jesus who is sinful. It's those who doubt the truthfulness of Scripture who are sinful. And this is convicting when you think about it, because if you, if you react to the Lord speaking to this Gentile woman in this way, it shows that uh, you really believe that you're deserving of more than you are. Do you think that you deserve the blessings of God? Do you think that, uh, that we, we deserve the, the, the covenant promises, the kingdom that God has to offer? The Bible says that we were reconciled while we were enemies of God. Enemies. Colossians 1.21 says you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Ephesians chapter 2 says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. And if you were to approach Christ during this time, and he said it's not good for you to, good for, for, for the, uh, to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs, my question is, would you humbly accept that and say, Christ, you're right? Or would you feel like Christ is wrong for calling you that? John Calvin says the pride of the flesh must fall down when we learn that by nature we are dogs. But the treachery and revolt of Adam made it proper. He's saying, and what he's saying is that because of the sin of our forefathers, and us inheriting this sin and being enemies of God, we are deserving of that title. Yes, Lord, I'm on the outside. Yes, Lord, I know I don't deserve a seat here. I'm, I'm not one of those who is just naturally a child of God. I don't belong here. It's only because of your mercy. That's the only thing I can plead. That's the only thing I can ask for. God, have mercy on me. I'm not coming because I deserve a thing. If, if we got what we deserve, what would we all deserve? We deserve hell. We deserve hell. It's much better to be a, a dog in that sense than to be deserving of hell. We are sinners against a holy God. 
We deserve this title. And Matthew, again, he mentions that this woman is a Canaanite. Significant detail. The, the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, as I mentioned before. But Matthew specifically tells us that this woman was a descendant of the Canaanite people, which would have brought up all kinds of images for the Jewish audience here. It's the Old Testament term that shows up here, that the Canaanites, they were inhabitants of the district of Phoenicia. Majority of these people were likely the descendants from the tribes of Canaan, you know, in this, this uh, region of Tyre and Sidon. And if you remember your Old Testament, the land of the Canaanites was promised over to the children of Abraham. And the, the children of Canaan were a cursed people. And before the children of Israel entered into the promised land, Moses commanded them, you shall utterly destroy them. The Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, as the Lord your God has commanded you. This woman shouldn't even have been here. She was only here by the grace of God. Because of the idolatry of her, her people, that line would have been wiped out. Why would she think that she deserved anything from Christ? Reminds me of the story of Naaman in 2 Kings 5 where, you know, he thinks a little more of himself than he should have. You know, wants to come out as the hero. He doesn't want to dip in the Jordan to be healed. It's like, why would I, why would I humble myself like that? Thought more of himself, but we, we need to understand who we really are. We're, we're not saved because we're worthy of being saved. We're, we're, we're saved because God had mercy on us. I remember I share, was sharing the gospel with this one person. They say, you know, I'm trying to explain to them that we're sinners in the sight of a holy God. They say, well, you know, I, I may be bad, but I'm not a sinner. I'm, I'm not that bad. You know, I may make mistakes, but don't call me a sinner. It's like, do you understand that that's the only way that you get in? <laughs> that you have to first understand your need for him before you can receive the salvation that comes from him? If you don't accept the diagnosis, how can you receive the cure? You need to understand who you are before God. So she doesn't argue with Christ. She doesn't say, Lord, you're calling me out of my name. She doesn't say, Lord, I deserve better than that. She accepts what Christ says, Lord, I accept it. Yeah, that's true of me. I know I don't belong here. I'm not here to preserve my dignity. I'm here because I understand that I need mercy. I don't deserve your blessings. I'm on the outside. I'm like a dog underneath the table. It's all true. I won't deny it. And in verse 27, she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. One commentator says, here is faith in all its lovely beauty. She's a beautiful example of humble trust in Christ. And she finds in this analogy that Christ used all the hope that she needs to continue pleading because it's on the basis of her being called a dog that she continues to beg. <laughs> like, like, Lord, if I'm a dog, I'm, I'm going to sit under the table until something falls down here. Lord, Lord, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And can I, can I just grab one of the crumbs that the children drop off the table? Like, Lord, that, that's all I need. That's all I need. She accepts the position of one of the family dogs, but... She says, I'm still in the house, though. I'm still in the household. I may not be a member, but like I'm still here. I'm still in proximity to the kingdom and its blessings. This Gentile Canaanite woman had more appreciation for what the children were being offered than the children did. We already said that the, the children of Israel were rejecting Christ. And she says, I, I know who you are. <laughs> Lord, I'm, I'm willing. And while the Jewish crowd sniffed at the kingdom, Rejected the kingdom, this mother was happy for any small crumb that fell from the kingdom. While the children sat at the table picking at the food, this Gentile woman was looking up in hope that a crumb would fall within reach. And whatever fell was hers. Whatever falls is mine. That's a remarkable faith. And finally, it's answered 
by a miraculous response from, from Christ. Look at verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Her faith was rewarded. One commentator says, He who at first seemed as though he would have denied her the smallest blessing, now opens to her the full treasure house of his grace and bids her to help herself to carry away what she will. She had shown to her, he had shown to her for a while like Joseph to his brother in the aspect of severity, but like Joseph could not maintain it for long. You remember the story of Joseph? You know, while he's turning his brothers away, but it's like in his heart he wanted to bless them the whole time. So, so here, here he, he pictures Christ like, like Joseph, like, you know, kind of putting on the stern face, but in his heart was blessing for this woman. And this child who had suffered so long under the power of the enemy was instantly cleansed that very hour at once. The daughter was healed. The power of Christ knew no boundaries, no limits. Instantly healed her daughter, drove the demon away, and her faith is commended. And there's really no greater commendation that the Lord gives than to call people those of great faith. Now, this is a similar commendation to the Gentile centurion back in Matthew chapter 8, where he says, truly, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. If you look throughout the scriptures, there are certain things that, that, uh, uh, that Christ takes note of. Christ takes note of. Christ takes note of when people have no faith, and Christ takes note of when people have great faith. Christ takes note of when people have little faith, and when people have great faith. And here he marvels that this woman has such great faith. He talked to the disciples and he rebuked them for their little faith. You know, when they're in the storm, you have little faith. Peter's sinking in the water, you have little faith. When they argue over bread, you have little faith. Why don't you have faith? But now he talks to this woman and he says, oh, great is your faith. Oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. Christ only commends people twice in all of Scripture, and both times it was for their great faith. And both times they were Gentiles, by the way, who had very little knowledge, little exposure to Christ, but such great faith in a small amount that they had. And it was Calvin who said, if a small seed of doctrine in a woman of Canaan yielded such abundant fruit, it does not become us to be miserable or disappointed. What does he mean by that? If, if a woman like this could have such great faith with so little, how much greater faith should we have with so much? We've been blessed with so much. Blessed with so much understanding, information in the scriptures, so many examples of who Jesus Christ is. What, what excuse do we have for not being people of faith? And I pray for the, the mothers here at Baltimore Bible Church that the mothers here would be known for their sacrificial love for their children, just as this woman was, who was willing to risk it all to bring her, her daughter to, to Jesus Christ. I pray that the mothers here would be known for their humility, receiving before the Lord, the proper diagnosis of who they are, that, Lord, I'm just one who comes to you begging for your mercy. Lord, I know I don't come before you because I deserve anything, but it's because of your mercy that I'm here. And I pray that the mothers of our church would be known for a childlike faith that continues to persevere even in the midst of temptation. That, Lord, where else am I going to go? <laughs> Lord, Lord, there's, there's nowhere else, there's no, no, other, no other help that I know besides the help that comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. Amen? And I pray that, uh, that we would honor those mothers who truly fear and trust in the Lord. Amen? Uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for this text, uh, a text that gives us this example of this, uh, this mother, but a mother who believed. And Father, I pray that uh, we would have in our congregation mothers who believe, mothers who, who humble themselves in your sight, 
Mothers who have a great understanding about who you are, a confidence in who you are. I pray that we would have mothers of, of persevering prayer uh, who would come before you night and day pleading for their children, for, for those around them, for their loved ones. Father, I pray that we would have mothers of faith and that you would find faith on the earth, Lord. And Father, that you would find faith right here within the, the mothers of our church. And uh, Father, I pray that you would help us as husbands, as fathers, as uh, those within the church who encourage uh, the mothers among us. Uh, Father, I pray that we would understand the task that they have before them. Uh, Father, that they would be uh, encouraged uh, by us, that they would be prayed for by us. And uh, Father, that uh, we want to be like the disciples who, who get tired of, of hearing uh, the concerns that the mothers have. Uh, but Father, that we would be those who would intercede on behalf of the mothers around us. Uh, Father, make us a people of, of faith, a people of humility, a people of compassion. And uh, Father, we thank you again uh, for this text, Lord, and uh, for uh, the way that you've revealed yourself to us through it. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson, Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events or where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating CDs and all digital files.